Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 487 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023, and unfortunately, y'all saw last night, we have to uh, jump on here to react and comment and discuss that game that we all eventually had to watch last night that was down in Coral Gables. Before we get into the bad episode that we have in front of you today, my name is Donald Wine. I am your host for this episode. I got my friends with me, Jason Evans and Sam Klein. First, Jason, how are you this this afternoon uh, or evening as we record here uh, in the early part of the evening? Yeah, I haven't had fun the past 24 hours. I mean, let's just be clear about it. I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, this is... I, I, that was one of the most disheartening losses in a long time. It, uh, for, I don't know why we could discuss which was worse, this loss or the NC State loss. I, for some reason, I think this one was worse. I think because I felt like the team had really turned a corner, was playing better. And to have that happen, whew, I don't really want to do this, man. That's the truth. I don't want to do we, it. We will discuss because I, <laughs> I will push back on on said, uh, at least the, the, you know that we're down the dumps that this is the worst for a different reason. Before I do that, we have Sam Klein. Sam Klein is actually here with us live from Miami. So, Sam, how are you this evening? I mean, other than the fact that I witnessed that last night, like for two hours last night, things were really bad. Otherwise, I'm totally fine. Uh, I I have I have passed the point where I think I think the Final Four did this to me. But I'm I'm totally disassociated now, sort of emotionally from this. I still enjoy it, uh, but I just don't I don't get down about it anymore, which I think is a really healthy place to be. But man, if I was, and 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 for our listeners who still get emotionally invested, man, last night was tough. Speak for Absolutely. yourself, man. Speak for yourself. I still, <laughs> my wife will tell you that like Saturday night after the Carolina game, bouncing off the walls, can't go to sleep. I'm a you know, I'm in a great I'm in great shape. Last night I was like. We watched an episode. We we watched The Last of Us because we hadn't watched it on. Oh God! Why would you do that right after the game? I was like, <laughs> "This is perfect." Give me, give me the give me the zombie apocalypse right after that game. That's oh, the only no. thing. You watched the only... new episode? Yes, I did. Of course. Oh yeah. God! Oh, <laughs> I don't want no spoilers. But man, what a what a downer of an evening! Absolutely not. We're not going to do that. We're not. We're we're gonna we're gonna at least try and get through this without discussing The Last of Us, which I haven't seen any episodes yet. So I actually have no idea what you're talking about. You but should. You should watch you it. You know what it's I very good. You know what we do have to talk We've about. We've done this is, before. <laughs> is the game. It is, yes. Uh, but we do have to talk about the game this last night. Uh it was down in Coral Gables, Florida. Again, Sam was in the building, and unfortunately, he saw a, a terrible game. Uh let's let's not sugarcoat it. It was 8159 blowout by the Miami. No, it Hurricanes. wasn't that close. It was not that close. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said blowout. Yeah. 8159 was the final score. Miami over Duke. Uh, as we normally do, we start with the headlines. And Jason, I will go to you first. What is your headline? So we got a whole slew. We got a ton of headlines from the listeners. I, I want to thank all of you. I appreciate the fact when we beat Carolina, the inbox, the DBR podcast at gmail.com inbox exploded, went crazy. We had like 30 plus headlines. When we got crushed by Miami, inbox explodes again. Everybody's on point. So I took... There was I was reading through all of them. There's some wonderful ones in there, and I know Donald, you're going to highlight them. I took one from John Barnhill. John Barnhill's headline, in my opinion, is better than anything I could come up with. So hats off to John. Here's his headline: Announcers run out of Larinaga stories as Miami schools Duke because and John is dead right about that. 
at a certain point in that game, like the announcers had no more fun stories, you know, anecdotes to tell about how Jim Laranega is such a teacher and a, and a professor and all that other kind of stuff. They ran out of content because there was nothing left to say. Yeah. And, and he actually submitted a couple, um, but uh, shout out to him. And uh, Jason, I will note that we had 12 headlines before the game was even finished with our first one coming 17 minutes left in the game. So people were ready uh, for these headlines. Sam, again, you were in the building. What is your headline from this game? Donald, I had my laptop open during this game, and I I noticed the same thing, that my inbox was starting to fill up well before uh, I was finished in the arena. So I made the same observation. I wrote my headline uh, early in the second half, and my headline is a question, are we sure they weren't at shooters last night? Uh, (laughs) I am sure. So I know we mentioned shooters occasionally just to make sure that everyone has the right context. Shooters is the bar that all the Duke undergraduates and some Duke graduate students and uh, and local Durham folk like to frequent. Uh, It is not it is I would describe it as a place of ill repute. uh, But that would be that would be putting a sour taste on something that I think is a true institution of of Duke and Durham. That being said, uh, shooters is usually the destination for uh, basketball players, whoever is going out to celebrate on a Saturday night. Uh, I can almost guarantee that many of the team were at shooters on Saturday. And despite the fact that one, I saw them in person yesterday and two, there were lots of photos on social media of them arriving in Miami. Uh, Unclear to me that they ever actually left the bar. Yeah. So I'm going to get into my headline before we get into some of the listener ones. My headline, similar vein as Sam Hungover Blue Devils leave energy and bonfire embers and get crushed in Coral Gables. Uh, mainly because we saw the, you know, we I reported live from said bonfire and there was a lot of energy at that bonfire. There was a lot of energy in Cameron and somehow that energy did not make it down to Coral Gables. Uh, I want to first look at some of these listener headlines. There's a few that I thought were uh, stood out above the rest. And again, we got over 20 uh, in the span of what seemed like an hour, again, half of them coming during the game. Uh, but I want to start with Justin Bystrack. When you send something with 17 minutes left in the game and it's actually good, I'm going to read it. So his was from burning couches to burning film. Duke falls flat against Miami. I thought that was pretty good. That's I, I like I like that one a lot. Yeah. And, and again, and, he had it ready. <laughs> and, and it and it and it evokes uh, it evokes one of the great Coach K moments. Um, from back in the 80s when they talked about forgetting the loss to Virginia in the ACC tournament. And he said, we're never going to forget here's this to, night. Here's to never forgetting this yeah, Here's night. to never forgetting, this right? Line, I, so yeah. I'm going to mess up the story. I was only negative six years old when it happened. So. <laughs> um, Matt Newell-Ching, he submitted a few, but this one I like because of the alliteration. Hurricanes, Hammer, Hungover, Duke. Again, that hungover uh, line. A lot of people were listening to the slight preview that we had at the end of the UNC recap uh, where I mentioned... Uh, the hungoverness that could, could could ensue from a UNC game. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Chris Bynum, road woes goes as the hurricanes blow in a Duke no-show. Lots of rhyming in that. Some alliteration That's impressive. There. That's, That's impressive. impressive. And credit myself for actually reading it great the first time through and not stumbling <laughs> over it. And then finally, ladies and gentlemen, the best way to describe this game comes from Ken Swanner. And Ken Swanner, simply put, game not worthy of headline because that game right there last night was was it was something to watch. That's for sure. Um, but Ken, it was not fun. Ken, Ken, preach, my friend. That is 
That is so accurate. Ugh. Yeah. So thank you to everybody who submitted uh, uh, headlines again for all of these games come, moving forward. Headlines, I guess you can do them during the game. You prefer them after the game so you can get a full sense of what's going on. Uh, but dbrpodcast at gmail.com, that's where you can send your headlines moving forward and also any questions or any comments that you have about the game as well. Guys, I know there wasn't a lot of good in this game, but we're going to start with the good. And Sam, I'm going to go to you first because you had the best vantage point. First off, Sam, before you get to your good, give us a sense of what it was like inside the building at the Wasco Center. It was a whiteout. It was sold out, which is, you know, sort of rare. They don't sell Their out a first, lot of games. First sellout of the season for them. Of the in season, you're wondering. they don't sell out games. Yeah. Most, even when Duke comes to town, is not always a sellout. So they were jacked for this game, and it showed uh, on the floor and in the stands. But tell us what it was like to be there. Yeah, as you said, Donald, it was it was electric in the building last night. Uh, we know that Miami is not typically the scariest place in, in the ACC to go on the road. But they had the whole thing. The whole thing was lit up last night. Every most of the fans, at least, were in white. Uh, this was not, you know, Duke at Boston College, where the majority of people in the stands are wearing blue. The vast majority were wearing light white last night. Uh, I, I don't think every Miami fan got the memo that it was the whiteout, but close enough that that they did a pretty good job. The student section was all in white. They were loud the whole time that I was in there. Granted, pretty easy to be loud when you jump out to like a ten point lead and you basically never give it up. So, you know, an, an easy one to be excited for, but but a lot of credit to Miami for showing up for this one. They did a uh they did a uh, a tribute to a, a fallen soldier during one of the timeouts and they they brought out like uh his partner and maybe his friend and they said like his his dream was always to go to the Duke Miami basketball game. And so at least at the end of the game I was thinking at least in tribute to this guy uh, they got exactly the game that they wanted. Other than that, uh, not not much positive to to report about it. I should also note that before the game, I went to the Alumni Association uh, pregame happy hour event. Uh, Donald, I met I met uh, Stephen, who's a friend of yours, who's one of the guys who who helps organize uh, events for Duke alumni in in the Miami, the South Florida area. So that was extremely cool. Uh, to, my to man, my man, Kretschmer. Oh, that's right. Uh, we had we had a good time. That was that was probably the most fun part of the evening for me was uh, getting to hang out with other Duke fans and Duke alumni before watching the, uh, the the silliness that happened in the arena. So so that's that's the game. I, I you know if you're if you're gonna find yourself in South Florida for a Duke Miami basketball game, you know go for it, and you just hope that it doesn't end up like it did last night. Also, shout out Titanic, uh, uh, the the bar that you guys were at. I believe that's right. for the. Uh... For event spent a lot of time at Titanic during my days down in Coral Gables. So shout it was, out! Was uh, it was very cool. I also got to I, I had a few hours to kill on the campus, so I walked around. I uh, got to check out Alex Rodriguez Park, which is the baseball stadium there on the same, you know, on, on, in the same complex. So so pretty cool, pretty cool experience. Uh, I believe I said to my father, who Donald is a fellow uh, University of Miami Law School alum, I said, I think I understand why people would want to go to school here. So that's yep. that, that that that's a summary of that. Uh, can we talk about? Can I? Can I tell you a couple yeah, go good ahead things with the good. game? Uh, the first thing, since we love talking about them, ten five five games. We had our second one of the season yesterday in Coral Gables, and it belongs to Derek Lively. He goes for eleven points, six rebounds, and five blocks. Derek Lively, you know, for all that we're going to say about 
about what's wrong with this Duke team right now and how much we really need Dariq Whitehead to come back healthy and how much everybody needs to to pick up the slack. Dariq Whitehead, or, or Derek Lively, rather, I'm getting ahead of myself. I just assume Whitehead is healthy again for the Virginia game. We'll talk about that. Derek Lively, in his last two games, has become like a real force for Duke. And and look, obviously, we're, we're going to spend a lot of time on the bad, but you have to commend him for all the progress he's made coming back from injuries. A lot of, I would say, doubters. I, I don't know if they're haters, but folks who have sort of written off Derek Lively for this season and, and his contributions, and and he's he's producing a lot for this team. And he had a couple nice layups yesterday. He missed his one three-pointer that he took, but it looks good. You know, I I I give I give Derek Lively a lot of credit for uh for hanging in there and 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 for keeping his head on and and at least producing statistically on a night when basically nothing was going well for Duke. So on this podcast, we have been believers in Derek Lively when there have been a lot of folks who have not been believers in him. We've been saying, I can see it coming, I can see it coming. Look, and, and John Shire. I mean, no one has been a, a bigger a bigger proponent of Derek Lively than John Shire, who has repeatedly said in press conferences that we've watched, he's like, I can feel Derek's about to explode. Derek's about to explode. Obviously, that Carolina game was an explosion, but I love that he followed it up with this. By the way, gentlemen, uh, oh, first of all, a, a couple of weeks ago, I went out on a limb and I predicted that Lively would have a five-block game and, an, a, and a double-digit scoring game before the month of January was done. I was off by a few days, but uh, I, I want to take a little bit of credit for that. The other thing I wanted to mention about him was he had 11 points. That was the team lead in scoring. He tied, uh, uh, what's his name? Ryan, uh, Young. Ryan Young for the team lead in scoring. As a result, we're up to eight players now, eight different players who have led the team in scoring this season. I think, I, I want to say me and one other person pred- predicted seven, and one of you predicted eight. So someone got it right. I, I forget which one of us it was. I'm I'm checking. I'm the I'm the official commissioner here, so I'm I will go. check while you continue to talk. So in the stats game, we have now reached eight different Duke players who have led the team in scoring, and I, I mean that's kind of an interesting, impressive thing that uh that, that has happened with this Duke team. Only Jacob Grandison, among all the regulars, you know the the nine guys who play the most time, he's the only one who hasn't led the team in scoring this year, which is pretty pretty interesting. Uh, uh, Jason, I have an update. Yes. Yes. Uh, Donald said that six players were uh, were going to lead the team in scoring. Jason said that seven players were going to lead the team in scoring. And your boy, Sam Klein, said that eight guys would lead Duke in scoring this nice season. Nice job. So that's a point for me. There you go, man. Well, we're not tallying up anything yet, but yes, good job. Do you uh, want to know? Do you want to know how many of us picked Derek Whitehead to lead the team in scoring? <laughs> all three of us. It was all of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so the other stuff I wanted to say about Derek, Derek Lively was, um, I thought having five block shots in this game, considering we were playing a team that doesn't really play through their bigs in the post very much. It shows that Lively's rim protection affects more than just, you know, opposing big men trying to go at at the basket that he's, he's super effective against virtually anyone who wants to come anywhere close to the lane. I, I thought he also showed strength on some of his rebounds. He only had six rebounds, but three of them were offensive rebounds. And, uh, you know, strength has been something that he's been missing a lot lately. And then, uh, you know, he and Ryan Young were both five of six from the field. They're the only regulars on our team who shot better than 50% from the field. So if we're going through the good, I think both those guys get a little bit of a hat tip for, for being efficient and effective when they got the ball in the post. It's worth noting that I thought they were consistently out-hustled and out-maneuvered 
by 6-7, Norchad Omir, who went for 17-10, and 10, who had a plus-minus of plus 32 in 27 minutes of playing time. This 6-7 dude completely dominated our big men. But I still think that Derek Lively and Ryan Young had games that we can at least begin to put into the good section. Lively and Young both went five for six, both had 11 points. So, uh, I, I mean, that's still tremendous production, and Ryan Young doing that off the bench does help a lot. And I, I did want to note, uh, when you're looking at some, you know, again, there's not a lot of good here, but Jacob Grandison and Jalen Blakes were the only two players that did not have a negative plus minus. Jacob Grandison was plus seven, led the team, and Jalen Blakes was a plus one. Um, and I believe Jacob Grandison did that without attempting a shot or at least or I'm sorry without scoring uh without scoring a point from the field he was 0 for 3 uh from the field yeah I, I was going to mention Grandison as well as another thing I had in the good and I was going to talk about that plus minus so he played 23 minutes in the 17 minutes Jacob Grandison was not in the game Duke was minus 29 I mean that's kind of that's kind of amazing and uh, look it's probably it's just a quirk uh, and you shouldn't draw too much to make conclusions from plus minus from one game and especially from a beatdown like this where there's going to be weird vagaries throughout the course of the game. But still, I feel like Grandison has been playing better lately. He's not scoring a lot, but I, I feel like he's facilitating other players. He's using his smarts, his savvy, and his experience to play well. I think he's doing a really nice job helping on defense and being in the, the right place on defense. I said a few days ago on our podcast that I kind of like him better than Mark Mitchell right now because of because he provides more floor spacing and because I think he's a little more savvy. Um, and and he didn't have a turnover. Uh, Derek Lively, Jacob Grandison, and Jade, uh, and Jaden Shoot were the only guys on our team who didn't have a turnover. Oh, we will be talking about turnovers when we get to the bad, won't we? <laughs> oh yeah, Sam, why don't you won't you give give us another good that you had? Uh, I want to give a lot of credit to John Shire. Not that you know Duke played well last night. I, I actually really believe that a lot of that was sort of out of his control because of the circumstances from Saturday. And there's sort of only so much that the coach can do to get everybody refocused. Like if people are distracted, people are distracted. And you could see basically from the tip last night that these guys were distracted. I wish they had, they had been more focused, but you know, in a way they are adults and there was only so much that Shire was able to do. I, so that being said, I want to commend John Shire for the job he did, one, recognizing how out of it they were early. And and to that end, he did two things that that have seemed abnormal, not just this year, but in any year. The first thing he did is that he called a timeout very early in the game and used two of his timeouts in the first half. The rules in college basketball are you get four timeouts for the game. You have to use one by the end of the first half. Otherwise, you lose it. Almost every coach will not use more than one timeout in the first half because you want to preserve them for the second half. John Shire was watching that game like we all were and said, you know what? I can probably afford to use a second timeout because if I don't, things are definitely going to stay awry as they are. And even though it didn't work, I commend him for bucking the orthodoxy at least a little bit on in that regard. The other thing that he did was he went to his bench significantly last night. Now, some of that is because, well, you're losing by a ton. You might as well empty the bench. What he did not do was put in a lot of guys who are definitely not getting minutes this year. Like Christian Reeves gets two minutes right at the end of the game. Kale Catchings doesn't get in the game. Stanley Borden doesn't. Like all these guys who don't play, Max Johns, they don't play. That's fine. 
John Shire did insert Jaden shoot for a long time. He did leave Jacob Grandison in for 23 minutes. He let uh, Jalen Blakes, who hasn't been playing very much, get 17 minutes. He said, we're going to mix it up with the guys who we think could contribute, and we're going to see what combinations work. And I want to sort of call this out because I, I think one of the criticisms of Mike Krzyzewski, especially in the last, you know, 10, 12, 15 years of his career, the, the time that we've been doing this show, I think we've periodically gotten frustrated that Mike Krzyzewski basically had like one set of principles that he followed in terms of rotations and minutes and thinking about game management. And he didn't really deviate from them, even when, you know, he had like in 2019, he had guys like Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish on the team, which is totally different than having guys like, you know, Kyle Sigler and Nolan Smith and John Shire on the team in terms of like raw ability. Manage them the same way. John Shire, totally fine mixing things up. And I hope that it takes us a a long time before we figure out exactly what John Shire's coaching style is, because I would like him to remain adaptable. And I think that despite all of the craziness of last night, he kept his head on. He kept trying things. And and I assume that the team is going to learn a ton from this and they are not going to look this bad against Virginia. Sam, I love that you brought this up. And I will be honest with you and tell you that I I didn't even begin to think of talking about John Shire in a positive way from this game. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people would say it's the job of the coach to make sure his players are focused. It's the job of the coach to, on a short turnaround like we had on this Saturday, Monday, to, to you know, get his team ready. I mean, certainly Jim Laranega. Look, Miami played at Clemson on Saturday. And you cannot say that that was you know, a huge, easy, you know, don't even think about it kind of game. It was a came down to the last possession kind of game. Uh, and it was a battle for the top of the ACC standings. And yet Miami turns around and, and they are completely focused and ready. So it'd be easy to go. What are you talking about? On the other hand, I think you're absolutely right. I think that Shire did a pretty nice job in this game. And I love the fact that he's experimenting with different combinations, that he's given different guys chances. I mean, the way some of our players were playing last night, they deserve to sit on that damn bench. They deserve to have to sit there and watch other people try to go to war because they weren't up to the task. Now, the challenge, I think, for John Shire is, does this result in, you know, a real shuffle to the starting lineup, to rotations and things like that? Is that an overreaction? Do players react poorly to that? I mean, like, look, I could see him saying, all right, Mark Mitchell, you've been struggling for a while now. Jacob Grandison's going to move into the starting lineup. Or Dariq Whitehead, when he's healthy, he's going to move into the starting lineup. Does that get Mark Mitchell down? You know, does that make Mark Mitchell less effective or does it motivate him? I mean, heck, for that matter, maybe you decide to move Grandison to the starting lineup and you take Proctor out. Proc- Proctor had as bad a game as anyone on the, on the team. Maybe you say to Tyrese Proctor, hey, let's take a seat. Jeremy Roach is going to be point guard. Jacob Grandison's two guard. I mean, like there are a lot of different things that could happen as a result of this game. And and I think it's just really interesting. I'm glad you called it out as something that Shire's doing because it'll be really interesting to see what happens against Virginia. I'm interested in this too, Jason, because part of John Shire's reputation to the extent that he can have a reputation being a first year head coach is that he is much closer to the players than Mike Krzyzewski was. He wasn't afraid like Mike Krzyzewski would pick his favorites and play them, you know, whether whether like (laughs) come hell or high water, good, bad or uh, worse. Yeah. Coach K's top six, we're going to play a lot of minutes. I don't think John Shire like works the same way. What's going to be interesting is the way that he manages that if he chooses to, like you said, if he chooses to bench Mark Mitchell, if he chooses to bench Tyrese Proctor. And by bench, I don't mean just not leaving him in the starting lineup, but like 
dramatically lowering their their minutes played because there's a lot you know a lot of narrative these days about player empowerment about the transfer portal about how you do recruiting like everything is recruiting now and John Shire we know is a great recruiter he's gotten a ton of credit in the last few years for bringing players in now he has to sort of deal with the consequences of who's not getting playing time and who's not playing well and who's not getting the draft pick that they want and i i think that actually this will prove to be one of his like strongest suits here is threading the needle of, yeah, I want you to come in here and succeed and I want the best, but also I'm going to hold you to the, to the Duke standard. And he's going to, he's going to hold up what, uh, what Mike Krzyzewski wanted as, as the standard. And if you're not living up to it, if he decides that Mark Mitchell's not living up to it, then he will find a place for him on the bench. And I think that the result will be Mark Mitchell, you know, looking down at himself and saying, I got to be better. I really hope that happens here. Well, and the other thing is you have to be careful not to overreact to one game. I mean, let's not forget these are the emotions of being a a basketball fan. The highs and lows of the season, literally 48 hours before this game, we were on as big a high as as we have been, as Duke fans have been all year after the win over Carolina. It's not just that it was Carolina. It's that it was a very good club that Duke took care of and not about we were not that high on Mark Mitchell. But yes, continue. Right. But I'm (laughs) just saying you, you shouldn't. You, uh, there are a lot of people out there. I, I saw them on Twitter and the such who are just killing this team for, for the loss to Miami. I'm like, well, 48 hours ago, you were in love with this team. You can't overreact to any of this stuff. So it, it, it's, it's difficult for us. And it's probably difficult for John Shire. You don't want to, re- I mean, like, you know, I'm talking about Tyrese Proctor as well. I mean, and, and Proctor was horrible in this game. But he's been great lately. I mean, like Proctor's literally coming off of like three weeks that he's been playing his best ball, you know, at levels that we probably didn't think he was going to get to. So, yeah, it's just it's just really tough. So uh, all of what you just said, both of you, this is how I summarize it. There better be some competition in practice the rest of the week, because that's really what it boils down to. Yeah, yeah. Some competition, good old fashioned, you know, ain't nobody starting earn your spot kind of deal. all week long because we got Virginia coming in. But before we do that, I did want to end the good with kind of a, I guess it's kind of a backwards good, um, but it does help when you're looking at the NCAA tournament prognosis and seeding. And I say prognosis, not that we're not going to make it. We're still safely in at this point. But I will say that because we got Molly Watts so bad last night by, by Miami, we dropped four spots to 29th in the net rankings, which is kind of what replaced a few years ago, the RPI. But Miami rose nine spots in the rankings to 30th, which means that we actually gained a quad one win by losing because that Miami win we had against them at home a couple of weeks ago is now a quad one win. So we are now three and seven against the quad one teams, and we uh, are still uh, was a winless. Uh, I'm sorry, undefeated against quad two, quad three, and quad four. So I guess by the way, we're one of the one of the very few teams in the country that is undefeated against quads two three and four so i mean that's but three and seven against quad one look those are the kind of teams that you're going to be playing in the in the tournament tournament that's uh, like the, the duke is like the eighth best team in the in the big 12 <laughs> right you're fine <laughs> yeah which means we should be safely in so we are safely in right now yeah we we actually had quite a bit of good for a game where we got destroyed uh, by 22 points. But let's take a break here on the other side. Everybody collect your breaths during this break because we still have a lot to talk about. It's the bad and, yes, maybe even some favorite plays right after this. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back and we have to discuss all that went wrong at this game last night. But before we get into the meat of things, I'm going to take hosting privileges and I'm going to basically kind of inform everybody what really happened. I said on our brief preview of this game that they needed to avoid the hangover, right? The, the hangover after beating UNC and that I would know in the first five minutes of this game whether we had the chops and the energy to have a chance. No. We did not. It was 17 to 7 after five minutes, and it didn't get any better from there. This, Jason, is why I don't think this loss was any worse than NC State. We just did show up to play, and I'm actually kind of not really mad at it because we knew this was going to happen. We knew that the hangover was possible. We experienced how the great high that you, we, we've all described many times over the last couple of days. And the fact that we went on a Saturday, Monday turnaround down to Miami, where we are seven and six at the Wasco Center since Miami joined the ACC, this is not at all surprising to me. So for me, no. we will talk about we'll talk about some of the meat of stuff, the details. But everyone, just let out your steam right now. Let it out. You can scream while we're discussing the the bad and stuff. But after that, as we've done over the last forty two years of coach K in the first year of John Shire, it's next play time. We can get all this meat out of here and talk about how bad we were last night. But after, after you listen to this podcast, get it out your mind. Just like I'm pretty sure that this team is going to kind of get back to basics because we got to go to Charlottesville on Saturday and we had better be ready to play when we go down there. Jason. Donald, do you remember when the schedule was released? You and I hopped on Sam, you weren't with us. But we hopped on a podcast to do when the ACC schedule was released. I want to say it was September. I think it was. You mm -hmm. and I both immediately, immediately said, <laughs> oh, wow, that's Saturday, Monday, Carolina to Miami. That's brutal. And in fact, I believe I said, I, I should go back and listen to it and find the recording. I said, we're losing the Miami game. Period. And I was like, no question. We're losing that Miami game. And I hate that it came true. Can can I start the... Uh... The in-depth analysis here. Yes, you uh, may. Yes, you I'd may. I'd like to do it a, a lot. So, so go wherever direction you feel. I would like to do a dramatic reading of the number of turnovers committed by player, and uh, very few will be spared in this one. Wait, can Jeremy we, Roach? Five hold turnovers. on. Can we can we put some yes. like foreboding music under this? Sure, whatever. Like <laughs> whatever, whatever you got. Um, uh, you know the, the Imperial March. Jeremy Roach, five turnovers. Kyle Filipowski, three turnovers. Mark Mitchell, one turnover. Tyrese Proctor, five turnovers. Ryan Young, three turnovers. Jalen Blake's three turnovers. Christian Reeves managed to turn the ball over. He only played two minutes. I guess I can give credit to Derek Lively and Jacob Grandison for not turning the ball over. But all those shoot. other guys and Jaden shoot and Jaden shoot very good. Uh, Twenty-one turnovers on the day. Miami only turns the ball over twelve times. And I bet we could just do the whole, like, what went wrong here around Duke turnovers, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, by the way, 21 turnovers. Did you know that that, it, that is tied for the most by a Duke team in the past decade? Yay. And we tied uh, with when we played Kansas earlier this year. Oh, we had 21 against Kansas? Oh, geez. We had 21 against Kansas earlier this that, year. That game wasn't nearly as bad as this one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was 20. It was 21 against uh, Purdue, I want to say. But Kansas. Oh, that I game was bad. Kansas <laughs> had 21 assists, which also tied Miami tied last night. That was a season high of assists by an opponent against Duke. Against this Duke? Year. It was 21. Yeah. There, 21 there was, assists. Guys, there was a sequence at the 10-minute mark of the first half. It was so bad that I wrote it all down. So Ryan Young missed a little shot in the lane, like a little bunny shot. His only miss of the night, by the way. 
And the ball sort of bounced around. It was one of these balls of ping-ponging all over the place. Eventually, it found Mark Mitchell. And he tossed it to Jalen Blakes for a wide-open three. I want to be clear about how wide-open Jalen Blakes was. He had time to go down to South Beach, get a drink, ogle at some women, and then come back and shoot his shot. He bricked it. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Filipowski got a hand on the rebound to keep it alive. Ryan Young dove on the floor. I mean, dude was hustling and, and grabbed it on the deck. He tossed it to Mark Mitchell, but it was too low, and it ricocheted off Mark Mitchell's leg and out of bounds yeah. to Miami. I was just like, by the way, 10 minutes into the game, we still got 30 minutes of the game to go, and what I wrote down about that play was I was like, this is a typical play from this game. <laughs> Jason, I want to I briefly give it back to you on the that Saturday morning turnaround. That, that, was, that was not my favorite play in the game. <laughs> no, no, that was not my favorite play either. But before you, before we get back to the the kind of turnaround and just kind of what it is, I want to lead you with this, right? I've this year talked about energy and I've talked about how it, it is an integral part of what we do. We know we're going to be good when the energy is there. When the energy is not there, it's pretty apparent very quickly as it was last night. And we have a dull show of it at the under eight timeout in the first half. We had twice as many turnovers as we had field goals made. We had eight turnovers and we were 417 from the field. Minus a couple of guys that you mentioned, like Ryan Young, like diving on the floor for loose balls. We just didn't have any willingness to try and settle down and play our game. We had no energy. We had no intensity. And when Miami was running all over us, we didn't have any pride to say, no, they're not going to do that. We need to regroup and make it where we're not going to do that. Here's a little detail that I want to mention that should never happen. Right. This this goes to the no matter what you're doing, you need to stay true to yourself and stay true to your teammates. With 440 left in the game, Miami had a rare unforced turnover. And after that was out, Jaden Shute tried to bring everyone in for a huddle before we inbounded the ball to go down the other end of the floor. Nobody came to him. We couldn't even be bothered to do those saw, little things. I saw that. I saw that, that is a yeah. little detail that means so much. It means that we just did not show up. And uh, I think that's where a lot of the frustration from people on Monday night came around because that, for, I mean, you can't do stuff like that. If you want to, you can have a bad shooting night. You can, the energy could be lacking, but at the end, you still need to take care of the details. You still need to make sure that your teammates know that you're in this game and you're checked all the way in, even if you're in, in it for a terrible ride, like we were last night. And I think at that moment, that was where I said, oh, these guys kind of quit on each other, not in the, not in the worst sense, but in a way where they are allowing themselves to overlook all the details that make them a team, that make them what they are, that makes Duke basketball what it is. And that's why I said we need to get back to basics because even those little things can mean so much. Like, yeah, we were probably weren't going to win if Jaden Shoot got everybody in for a huddle, but we could have gone on a run. We could have settled each other down and we could have gone down there and made a good play. Instead, we go down, we have a terrible, terrible possession as always. And then we, they went the other way. And I'm pretty sure that was the Nigel, well, the Nigel pack dunks. The Nigel, Nigel pack had a couple of dunks and he's six foot tall. So those are little things that again, the pride just didn't show up. The energy just wasn't there and the intensity was there. Now, Jason, I say all that to say this, do you think, and I know we were talking about the Saturday, Monday turnaround. We've always had these struggles. We've had two this year. The second one, the first one we had was against Miami at home. And then we went to Virginia Tech. And we lost by three. This time we have a really big rival game. And sure, Miami played Clemson, but Clemson is not their rival. Clemson, they didn't play Florida State in a big time game. 
Miami played Clemson and then came home and we played UNC. We were on that high and we just forgot to bring that high down with us to South Beach. Now, that Saturday, Monday turnaround, we talked about it at the beginning of the season. What, tell me more about why these are always these trap games. And it's not necessarily just the fact that you just came off the game, but it's the tell us about the fact that it's just always a team that's waiting for you to punch you in the mouth. And for some reason, Duke fails to answer that challenge most of the time. Yeah, it's it, and I want to be clear about something before I get into this. I do not believe, I want to repeat, I do not believe that the ACC schedule makers and the folks at ESPN who work with them designing the schedule have it in for Duke. I don't think that. That said, it sure as hell looks like they have it in for Duke because we get the short end of the stick on this Saturday-Monday turnaround way, way too often. And look, I know, Duke is a big TV draw, the biggest TV draw in college basketball. And if ESPN wants to play a game on Monday and get people to watch it, putting D-U-K-E on the screen is the number one way that they're going to succeed at doing that. That said... This shit is unfair. So this year, Duke has three Saturday-Monday turnarounds. You know how many Virginia has? They got one. They play BC at home, and then they go play at Syracuse. I'm sorry, but that's nothing like playing Carolina and then at Miami. That's nothing like playing Miami and then at Virginia Tech. You know how many UNC has? They have two. The first one is a pair of home games. Playing that second game, that Monday game on the road, makes it twice as hard. Carolinas, Saturday, Monday, they have a Clemson, Miami at home, and they have a Virginia and then at Florida State. And this pattern holds year at, by the way, NC State, who's in the running for top of the ACC this year, NC State, zero Saturday, Monday games, never plays on a Monday all season long. Tell me it's fair. Tell me it's fair that Drew, that Duke has three Saturday, Monday turnarounds, including two against really good teams on the road, and NC State doesn't do it a single time. And by the way, I went back and looked year after year after year. The same story plays out again and again and again. It's the peril of being the number one team on television. But Jason, Duke had the benefit of the refs not calling any fouls against uh, against Duke uh, on Saturday against Carolina. So, you know, it goes both ways. Just listen to Hubert in the in the postgame press conference. Total BS. All right, I got another. <laughs> I got another good one for you. <laughs> So anyone with a brain will tell you that the time you need a break the most, the time you need time to refocus is after that rivalry game. No question about it. Of course, Rick Heydrich on Twitter. I don't know if you guys follow this guy. Rick Heydrich is a great Duke fan on Twitter. He went back and looked. He went all the way back to 2010, the past 13 years to look at, sorry, the past 14 years, because he included 2010, to look at how much rest Duke had after the Carolina game. Five times, we've had one day rest. Five times, the Carolina game has been followed by a, it's been a Saturday-Monday affair for Duke. Eight times, it's been two days rest. Now, so that's playing on Saturday and then Tuesday. A lot of teams play Saturday-Wednesday. Only once, only one time in the past 14 meetings has Duke had three days, has had two full days, I guess you'd say three days, Saturday to Wednesday after a Carolina game. Again, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I don't believe that the ACC scheduling office is setting Duke up, but it sure as hell looks like they are. So I agree with all that, right? To play devil's advocate for a second, I also think that some would say, and and you can call them haters, you can even call some Duke fans, would probably say, hey, 
maybe it's that we're being set up to play in the NCAA tournament. Because if you remember the NCAA tournament, you're playing four to eight hours or sometimes 36 hours after you play your first game. And those are against two NCAA tournament teams. Yeah, so, but it's not road. Ga- it's not road games. My, my big, not beef, road games. That's true. My big that's beef is, is playing a road game. And that's, and that's what ends up happening at Duke way too often. Yeah. And, and the road games, especially again, uh, that stat you had about the, you know, for the, the less than 48 hour rest um, after a, a UNC game that happens more often than not, especially uh, the one in uh, obviously the one in the middle of the season uh, is going to be the one where that happens. But right. and I it, think by the way, also, it doesn't happen to UNC. That's what drives me crazy. It doesn't happen to Carolina. Right. And, and I think this is where uh, I guess my disappointment for last night and not around the horse course season, but my disappointment from last night is in the veterans on the team. Jeremy Roach is the captain and Jalen Blake's, those guys who have been on this team who understand that, hey, we understand what it's like to destroy Carolina and then turn right around and play 48 hours later. They understand what it's like to have that emotional high and to have to reset and get back to, hey, we have a game in front of us and this team does not care that we played Carolina last night. And it's it, the coaching staff and, and, the, and the veterans on the team did not take care of business when it came to letting this young team know, hey, we have a big we have another big game that's great we can celebrate on saturday but sunday morning we need to get up and we need to be focused and we need to be ready because miami is going to be focused and they're going to be ready and you you can you can bet your bottom dollar on it and the fact that we had you know even they had you know miami had the revenge game coming we we had just beaten them a couple of weeks ago i feel like we should have been more ready to play now again i kind of pegged this as a loss i knew we were going to have a hangover but this was kind of inexcusable in the sense of how bad it was and how they just did not show up ready to play. And honestly, for, for Sam and for everyone who was there, it's a, it should be a disappointment that they, you know, that Sam traveled all that way. And some people travel all that way to watch that kind of effort. They should have, they should have been more ready to play uh, than they were last night. And one of the ways that you could sort of see that is the number of times I know you guys were talking about, uh, Nigel Pack having the dunks the number of times and I think this also relates to the turnovers the number of times that it feels like Miami had big plays you know mm-hmm. getting the turnover and then getting out in transition and getting a dunk or Miami getting a a forceful offensive rebound that turns into a dunk or a three-pointer like there were it felt like almost every play was an opportunity for Miami to turn the crowd up again and and I it was like you know, John Shire could call timeouts. I I told you that that he was pulling every trick in the book, but Miami just kept coming downhill at Duke with big plays. And and the fact that Duke was never really able to focus to stop that is is probably the most concerning thing for me coming out of this one. Yeah, I'll tell you something about those turnovers and, you know, you identify it, the live ball turnovers and Jeremy Roach and Tyrese Proctor have got to take some responsibility for this. As we mentioned, they had 10 of our 21 turnovers. And so many of them were live ball turnovers that resulted in Miami running out. The The points off turnover, Miami beat us 23 to 9. I, I would have bet a large sum of money that the that it was a bigger than a 14-point you know, difference on points off turnover. It sure felt like it was. It felt like Miami was getting out there and getting easy buckets, easy looks, easy shots off of our turnovers again and again and again. And look, I mean, this may sound like a joke, but I almost think someone drugged Jeremy Roach and Tyrese Proctor's Gatorade. Those guys could barely hold on to the ball. It wasn't just the turnovers. I, I'm 
Jeremy Roach must have fumbled and nearly lost the ball at least a half dozen times that didn't end up in turnovers. He was like just a butterfinger and, and would turn possessions, by the way, into just a mess. And between that and his ball stopping, it, it was a disaster for our offense. Jeremy Roach, and, and I've been talking about this about him since he was a freshman. He's a ball stopper. There was a sequence in the second half, about midway through the second half, I didn't get the exact minute, where the ball was moving really crisply around from player to player. We were moving it around the perimeter. We are going in and out, looking for a good shot, a good mo- moment. And at one of those passes, it hit Jeremy Roach, and the movement stopped. It died. He held onto the ball, likely shocked that he hadn't dropped it, but he held onto it and just stared at the defender who was in front of him for like two seconds. And during that time, the Miami defense that was scrambling got back into place. And then Jeremy Roach passed it to a teammate who is now in a desperate situation. The possession has, you know, almost run out of time and someone else is forced to, to take a difficult shot because Jeremy Roach stopped the ball on one of the few possessions this game where we're actually moving it around. Between fumbling it and stopping it, Jeremy Roach and Tyrese Proctor was not immune to this either, were terrible, terrible in this game. There was no chance for Duke to win this game with our two lead guards playing this poorly. Jason, I wish you had uh, leveled these these accusations of sabotage at Miami for the for the loose ball uh, while I was still in the arena, because I would have absolutely <laughs> gone and, and like done this research rather than talking to the coaching staff after the game, which I, I deemed to be, you know, unnecessary after an event like this. So I also want to like point out, I call them the hustle categories, but you know, they're more than just that, but those, the points from, if you're looking at a box score, uh, like we traditionally do after each game, you have the points from categories. And I just want to read those real quick because all of those skewed heavily in favor of Miami points from turnovers, Miami 23 Duke to nine points in the paint. Miami 42, Duke 34. Points from second chance points. Miami 24, Duke 9. Fast break points. Remember, guys, against UNC, it was 20 to 2 in favor of Duke. It was 17 to 7 in favor of Miami this time around. And again, it just felt like all of those things were, you know, we were doing so well. And Jason, I think you you, you talked about this earlier when you said, you know, we had been playing so well, only for it to result in that particular effort and, and and result last night it just seems backwards and I, I think one of the headlines said uh, that we got from one of our listeners said one step forward six steps backwards and that's kind of what it felt like we had taken so many small steps forward Saturday I think was a big step forward and then we kind of you know did a backflip off the page again and we're back towards the beginning again so it's just I think all of those things are why on, you know, you know, on social media and just everywhere you saw Duke fans just kind of like, what, what is going on here? Why are like, why are, why are we subjecting ourselves to watch this game? Because these guys clearly just aren't in it and it is their hearts weren't in it. So um, that's something that I think needs to improve going forward. It, it, no matter what, we're going to have shooting nights that are bad. We're going to have times where uh, they put, you know, Crisco and, and Vaseline and, and olive oil all in the ba- basketball. And it's going to feel slippery like in all. It's going to feel like everything is going our way. Donald, they they drug the Gatorade. Out. They drug the Gatorade. Donald, I'm telling yeah. You. Well, I mean, sometimes we get sometimes <laughs> we get Grant Hill secret stuff and that's cool, too. Um, but at the end of the day, the effort's got to be there. And I think sometimes people a lot. of, And this is not just this team, but teams have passed. They've had a couple of games each year where they forget that DUKE is across their chest and that everyone is going to take their best shot when they step on the floor against them. 
And we have to recognize that this young team has to recognize for the last seven games of the year that we have each team that we faced, each team that we face moving forward, they're going to say, yo, Duke is in front of us. We got to play. And Duke has to say, yo, this team wants to beat us badly. They want to embarrass us. And whatever they need to do to psych themselves up to make sure that doesn't happen, we need to figure out how to do that. And I hope over the next you know, four or five days before we head to Charlottesville on Saturday that this team in practice relearns that part of, of effort and just team will and also just intensity and energy and remembering that Duke takes everyone's best shot and they need to be ready for that. I know they've recognized that in the past. It felt like they lost that last night. All right. So really quick, my last bad thing, just a couple of things I wanted to note very quickly. Uh, we tried to zone defense for a little while in the first half. It was an absolute disaster. They would yeah, just pass the, <laughs> they passed the ball to Jordan Miller at the free throw line. He got everything he wanted in front of him. He destroyed the zone defense single-handedly. That was not good. <laughs> um, the rebounding, we got, we got beat on the boards 38 to 31. As we have repeatedly said, this Duke team um, lives and dies by offensive rebounding and by controlling the boards. We are one of the best rebounding teams in the country. We were not against Miami. Again, they beat us by seven. And oh my God, they had 16 offensive rebounds. We had only 19 defensive rebounds. It was almost 50-50. Like, not only are they shooting really well, not only are they getting fast breaks, not only are we turning the ball over, but when they do bother to miss, they were 50-50 to get the rebound. That's just a disaster. And the last thing I wanted to note, um, Miami's a super experienced team. And it really showed in this game. And this maybe isn't good or bad, but it's just worth mentioning. Every starter for Miami, other than Wuga Poplar, by the way, Wuga Poplar, top five name in the country. Love that name. That and that Wuga dude, Poplar, top five dunk in college basketball. This that year. dude, that dude laid down a severe dunk on us. I, it made me make a stank face, even though I wasn't rooting for it to happen. But anyway, other than Wuga Poplar, every single guy that starts for Miami when the game is over, can go to a bar and have a drink. Other than Jeremy Roach, all the Duke guys are ordering club soda. It makes a difference. Minus the grad transfers, of course. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, among Jacob, the starters. Yeah, what, no, you're right. But but what, uh, what is just, Jacob Grandison? I feel like Jacob Grandison has an elaborate drink order. <laughs> strikes me. He strikes me that way. <laughs> Manhattan. No, um, no, but like, yes. uh, but 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 like, he he orders a Manhattan with like bourbon that's like that's been sitting on the shelf since like 1964 or something. You know, he's hey. got look it's it's actually, it's, taste. It's it's how long it's in the cask, not how long it's in the shelf that matters. Excuse me. Excuse Once me. it's bottled, it doesn't change. It doesn't change. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not like wine. <laughs> welcome, um, welcome to the Bourbon Scotch Podcast, hosted by Jason Evans. That would be that could be a that could be a bite or or I guess a, a drink, uh, a DVR drink. Um, we'll do that down the road. But uh, before I we had a Manhattan once when we were recording this show. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't I think that was very long ago. More more drunk DBR podcast is a good DBR podcast. No, I, I yes. uh, we, some of them I feel like have gone over the line. Uh, personally, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I've 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 been embarrassed a couple times by my performances, but but we did lose the 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 most the greatest ever yeah. the Louisville yeah. one, the greatest pod but, ever. Oh, yeah, uh, what I a bummer! I can't believe we lost that. Unbelievable. Oh it was um, too good. Be- it was too good to be recorded. Before we get out of here, I did want to go back to the net because, again, as we start looking ahead, we only have seven games left in the regular season. We have Donald. Are you tournament. are you really excited for us to lose more games by huge margins to boost the net of our opponents? Yay! 
No, no, I'm hoping that <laughs> other teams can do that when they don't play us so that they can help us without hurting us. Um, but at the same time, I do want to look forward because the net does play into seeding purposes for the NCAA tournament. Obviously, for teams that are on the bubble, it affects uh, consideration on whether they get in or whether they are left in the first four or the first few out, whatever that is. But I wanted to look ahead because I think it's kind of interesting how we do it. Jason, you mentioned that we've already had two Saturday, Monday back-to-backs this season. We will have a third when we go to Syracuse on the 18th and then follow that by hosting Louisville at home on the 20th on President's Day. But before that, obviously, this coming weekend, we have UVA away. They're a quad one team. And then we follow up on Tuesday with the Notre Dame game on Valentine's Day. They are a quad four team. We do have two quad four opponents uh, that we will see, Notre Dame and Louisville both at home. Our two quad one teams that we will see, UVA and UNC at the end of the season, those are both away. And then we have one, two, three games that are against quad two teams, Syracuse away, Virginia Tech at home, NC State at home. NC State, by the way, is 41st. For that home game to go up a little bit into the quad one, they would need to climb to 30. So they still, I mean, they would have to do some work uh, to get to that point. But it is possible that if NC State continues to play well when they're not playing us, they could elevate themselves into a position where beating them would actually help our quad one statistics. But as you mentioned, Jason, we are undefeated against every team that is not quad one. We have only two quad one games left. Both of them are very big ones, very big ones, UVA away, UNC away. But those other ones, we need to take care of business. Three of them are at home or four of them are at home. One of them are away. We have to take care of business against those teams. If we want to move up in seating and get ourselves into a position where we're not traveling to some faraway place to play our first round games. Yo, guys, we've been talking about the hangover, the Saturday, Monday hangover. Apparently, there's a Saturday, Tuesday hangover. I I know you guys don't know this, but the halftime score from North Carolina playing at Wake Forest is 47 to 25. Wake Forest is beating the crap out of Carolina right now. Let's go Deeks. <laughs> um, I do need to get this someone to do this research, but I'm pretty sure Georgia Tech, we destroyed on the road on the Saturday. The next game, they got blasted. I believe, um, uh, who was the team we beat right after that? Wake Forest, they also lost the game. UNC is losing. There's been a lot of teams who, when they lose to us, we somehow break their spirit to the point where they get you know, absolutely bamboozled in the next game. So uh, if someone wants to do that research for us and see what happens to every team after we uh, end their mis- put them out of their misery, dbrpodcast at gmail.com, let us know what happens there. Because it feels like recently every team that we have beaten has gone on to lose that next game. So uh, hopefully that that bodes well for, for us breaking people's spirits. But we want to get back to that feeling of breaking people's spirits as opposed to having our spirit thrown into... Uh, the lake down there uh, in Coral Gables. So uh, we will end it here uh, on episode 487 of the DBR whoa, 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 podcast. Dude, favorite play. We didn't do favorite oh, play. Oh, yeah. This we podcast hasn't gone on long enough. We have not spent enough time talking about this crappy game. <laughs> well, okay, Jason, you led it. So do you have a favorite play for this game? I do, believe it or not. With 30 seconds left in the first half, Kyle Filipowski made a move in the post where he split two guys, changed direction, got a really nifty layup out of it. It was a sweet, sweet move. It cut the Miami lead to 12. It was in that moment that I was like, there's hope. We could do this. It would never be even close to 12 points for the rest of the game. Basically, Miami scored like the next eight points in a row or something like that, um, you know, from halftime into the start of the second half. And it was never competitive after that. But there was that moment when Kyle Filipowski made a really nice move in the post and scored to cut it to 12 that I thought, hey, 
maybe we're going to come back. We didn't. Sam. There was a moment in the first half, right when I got my computer working, where Miami was already winning, I think, by like 12 points. And it was like a few minutes into the game. I, I didn't I didn't mark the time down, but uh, the Miami player bricked a shot and then Duke came down the other way and scored. I was too overwhelmed at this moment because I was having co- computer troubles to actually take note of who any of the people involved were. But that's my play of the game because I got my computer on and for five seconds, Duke looked like they might come back. Sam, I think I got you covered because I'm pretty sure this is the same play. Um, it was a brick three-pointer from Miami. Ryan Young grabs the rebound, outlets it, and then beats everyone down the floor and receives the ball inside the post for a layup. You are so correct. That is exactly that the was, play I'm talking that was about. My, that was my play. play. It was a very cool hustle play, one of few that we had uh, on the night. But Ryan Young had a couple of those where he would either grab the rebound or instrumental in, in, getting, in us getting the ball and then beat everybody down the floor and have a nice lay-in at the other end. Again, uh, five of six on the day. Uh, also, Derek Lively, his only miss was a three-point attempt. So, uh, Jason, I know at the beginning during the stats game, you were talking about Derek Lively threes. He's had one. He's got a little confidence in him. But every so far over the last week, uh, I believe all his misses have been outside the arc. Hey, hey by the way, we have not talked about the fact that Norchard, uh, Norchad Omir came out of this game and the very first play of the game hits a three-pointer from Miami. That's ridiculous. Like the dude, the dude shot 10 three pointers in the season. It was a, it was a second make all year. Yeah. I, like how does that, he, he was two for two on three pointers. Dude's one for 10 on the season. And he goes two for two. I, like, it's just it's so indicative of this game. Ugh. And Jason, that is how Disgusting. you, that's how I knew that this game was going sideways because I've seen this guy play and I've seen him shoot three pointers. And let me tell you, Jason, he could not hit water from Miami and Miami is surrounded by water. But last night, for some reason, it got put all together from that very first play. And like you like said, look, that three was the last time Duke was even on the game. So uh, that was 20 seconds into the game. There is no one still listening to this abomination of a podcast right now. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to. What do you mean? <laughs> Hang on. I'm listening to you, Jason. Don't I count? Uh, and I was listening to Sam, too. Um, oh, God. Why would you put yourself in the torture of listening to us talk about a loss like this? Because you like Especially. us. Because we're because we're nice guys. We're you fun. Know? Yeah. Hey. We're Duke here to hang out ass with kicks, But at least the guys are having fun. Oh. Hey, whatever. Okay. We're, we're going to end on a positive. All right. Coming yes. up this week, we are going to preview the UVA game. I think we might actually have another DBR Bites episode this week that is tangentially related to uh, basketball, or at least related to basketball, tangentially related uh, to you know what we're talking about in the course of this particular Duke Blue Devils season. Uh, but until then, that will do it for this episode of 487 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Jason and Sam, thank you so much. Sam, have fun down in my old stomping grounds. Uh, glad that you, uh, I, I know we didn't mention this in the pod, but glad you got to visit my neighborhood, my actual neighborhood, and eat at Sergio's, uh, one of my favorite places. On Yo, Earth. shout out to Sergio's. Yeah, shout out to Sergio's and, and my neighborhood. That That's what's up. Coral Way, represent. Uh, for, for Sam, for Jason, I am Donald, and this is now the Duke Band to take us home. <laughs>